My name is Christina, and I'm reading two passages today that I like to think of as oldies but goodies. Exodus 16, 1 through 8. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard your complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. The second passage is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. God. Thanks, Christina. One thing I forgot to do is um, had the chance to introduce to you Steve Sipes, our new worship leader, but I didn't get a chance to say thank you to Anita for being our interim worship leader. So would you give her a big round of applause? We 
we just read about the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and they needed a good leader and we needed a good leader and Anita was more than that. So thank you for uh, your support of us and helping us to find Steve. Uh, yay. You've never been happier to be done with a job, right? Yeah, I, I, I yes, yeah. <laughs> so let's pray. Thanks, oh God, for your word and for these uh, oldies but goodies, these great stories. And um, we hear what you say, do not worry, but we wonder about whether we, we can actually do that. So we pause and ask that somehow, by your grace, we will hear the echoes of your word in these words to come, that they may amplify for us what your message is for our lives. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, whether it is located inside of our smartphones or inside the dashboard of our cars, many of us carry with us, if we can get that image up on the screen, there we go, uh, a disembodied voice that tells us where we are to go. We type in our destination and some satellite somewhere beams down to us the route we are to take. We set aside our AAA roadmap. Sometimes we set aside even our complete common sense and we listen to this disembodied voice tell us where we are to go. At least I hope until the disembodied voice tells us to cross a bridge that's not there or to turn down the wrong way of a one-way street or to ignore the, the, uh, the, or to continue on a detoured road. How many times has it happened when we have chosen to ignore the disembodied voice and quite wisely and drive what seems to be the more practical route and yet that voice continues to speak to us to say, at the next available opportunity, please turn around. <laughs> Some of us have a very polite and gentle voice that tells us that, at the next opportunity, please turn around. Some of us have a drill sergeant, at the next opportunity, please turn around. I kind of like the drill sergeant myself. But the problem is you can go for a long time with a really stubborn GPS telling you that you're going the wrong way and that you need to turn around and go back. You need to go back, calculating. You need to go back, calculating. You need to go back. Now, the easy analogy that you've heard, I'm sure, in a bunch of sermons and blogs and podcasts is that the spiritual world has this thing called repentance, which means stop and turn around, and that everyone carries within us this divine voice telling us of those times when we are heading down the wrong path and that we must recalculate and we must, get, we must find the next opportunity to turn around. Now, that's very sound advice in many seasons of our life. Repentance is a very important part of the spiritual life, the stopping and the turning around and going back. That is the easy analogy when we talk about GPS. God says, turn around, so I should turn around. But sometimes in this life, it is not God who's telling you to turn around. You see, it's important to understand that the divine GPS voice of repentance that is in our head is not the only voice that's talking to us. Even if you're mentally healthy, the truth is you have lots of voices speaking to you. The voice of conscience, the voice of ego, the voice of God, the voice of insecurity, the voice of the pizza you ate last night, whatever. And it can be difficult sometimes to discern which of these voices is speaking and which of them you should be listening to. Because one of these voices that often speaks to us is the voice of fear. 
And the voice of fear is almost always the voice from the future. The voice of fear is the voice that speaks out of the uncertainty of the future. The voice of fear says to us, what's going to happen next? And it's this voice of fear that is often the voice that will tell us to turn around, to go back, to return to the way things used to be. Not to go back and find a new road, no, just to go back because back there is a much more comfortable place. I personally am a nostalgic person. I love to look back. I love scrapbooks. I love the old family stories. I love old sports players. I love it when Michigan used to beat Michigan State. <laughs> love that back then. I don't know if we'll ever get there again. I love the old music. My radio is turned to classic rock stations from the 60s, from the 70s, from the 80s. That's when they played real rock and roll, I say to myself. Oh, I love to look back. But when I look back, I know that what I'm doing is I am looking with distorted lenses. I am choosing the rose-colored glasses, and I look back and I see things not as they were, but as I want them to have been. Life wasn't necessarily easier back then. Life wasn't necessarily happier back then. But I look back and I paint sunny skies and cool breezes. And so there can be this temptation to want to go back, stop time, rewind the clock. Life was better back then. And in turn, we resist the future. We resist the future because we don't know what the future holds, and maybe even more so, we don't know whether we have what it takes to face it. We resist the future because we don't know what it holds, and we're not sure we have what it takes, which it seems to be the issue that was facing the people of Israel in that story we read from Exodus. Now, you remember last week we talked about Moses receiving the call of God, and Moses has got every good reason for why he shouldn't go, why he shouldn't take that marathon back to Egypt. And God says to him, baloney, Moses, baloney. And so Moses accepts the call, goes to Egypt, frees his people, goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, you can have your people, and they cross the sea, and now they're in the wilderness, and they're on their way to the promised land. They're on their way to the future, on their way to the promised freedom, leaving behind slavery, leaving behind forced labor, leaving behind cruel conditions, and now they're on their way to a new life. But they don't particularly know what that new life is going to be, and they don't particularly know whether they will have what it takes. So when that first test comes, when they first wonder if they're going to have what it takes, namely food, all of a sudden there comes this voice from the future and the voice of fear that says, go back, recalculate, go back, recalculate. Slavery wasn't so bad, forced labor wasn't so bad, cruel working conditions weren't so bad, at least we had a little gruel for our tummies. Remember the good old days of gruel? That's the crazy thing about the voice of fear. It can turn gruel into a T-bone steak. Oh, man, I used to love gruel. But you know, if there's anything we learn from the Bible, it's this. God does not go back. God does not go back. God is always moving ahead. 
And not only does God move ahead, but that God is always making a way for us to move ahead too. God is always making a way for us to move ahead too. When the Israelites get to the sea, God parts the water. When the bread runs out, God showers manna from heaven. When there's no more meat, God drops quail from the sky. When the water runs out, H2O bleeds from a rock. God is always moving ahead, and God is always making a way for us to move ahead, too. Unless, of course, the voice of fear is the voice we're listening to. You know, the tragedy of Israel's story, tragedy of Israel's story is when they kept moving ahead, they kept progressing, and they got themselves all the way up to the edge of the land of freedom. But when they get to the edge of the promised land, and they looked over and saw spies and heard reports that there were giants living in the land, oh boy, right then, forget the sea, forget the manna, forget the quail, forget the water from the rock, forget all that. Oh no, now it's the voice of fear, the voice of the uncertain future taking center stage. And they listened and they said, oh boy, best we go back, Best we retreat, best wandering into the past and embracing the future. So they turned back, and that's exactly what they did. They wandered. And they wandered, and they wandered, and they wandered for 38 years. They wandered. We forget that. Two years to get across the wilderness to the edge of the promised land, and then turn around and 38 years of wandering until they got back to it again. You see, God is always in the future, and we want to wander in the wilderness of the past. The greatest, greatest thing to fear is the temptation to go back. I finished recently Candace Millard's history of Winston Churchill's early life when he was involved in the Boer War, which is now known as South Africa, in an area known as South Africa. And the 24-year-old Churchill found himself in the middle of that war on a train that was attacked by the Boers that resulted in him and all his comrades being captured and marched off to a prisoner of war camp. And from the moment of his arrival at that POW camp, all that Churchill could think of was escaping. He was not going to ride out the war in that POW camp. So along with two friends, they devised an escape plan. But when the time came for the escape, only Winston was in the right place at the right time. The moment when the guards weren't looking, is the moment that Churchill seized. He took the chance, scaled the fence, dropped over to the other side, and in that moment, on the other side, from captivity, on the side of freedom, he realized that as much as he wanted to be free, being free was still dangerous. It was safer, actually, to be in bondage. But then came another thought. The only thing more dangerous than even being free was trying to climb back over the fence. He realized in that moment, no going back. No going back. And I'll let you read the rest of the story. The greatest temptation, the greatest fear is the temptation to go back because you see, God is always moving ahead. He's going to get these people to the promised land, whatever it takes. Manna, quail, water, Moses, Joshua, even Rahab, the prostitute, helps them advance into the promised land. God is always making a way for us to move ahead. It's why we love that great story, right? That great story from the Old Testament when the Israelites reach a dead end with the Philistines and they can't go any further because the Philistines have this big 
big giant named Goliath, and there ain't nobody going to beat that, that giant Goliath. Nobody's going to take care of him, unless, of course, it's this little shepherd boy who so happens to be pretty good with a slingshot, and there so happens to have five smooth stones, and so happens only to need one of them, and before anyone knows it, the giant is lying on the ground, and God is moving forward. The greatest thing to fear is the temptation to retreat. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and says, let's move ahead, let's move ahead with the new spirit of the law, a law that says that love is the ace card and the whole deck. Love is the beginning and the end of the law. It's not about the statutes. It's not about the ordinances. It's about making sure your neighbor, your fellow human being gets loved. And it's the religious bosses who say, oh, no, oh, no, we're not going there. We're not going there. There are giants in that land. There's uncertainty in that land. There are, there's no comfort without the rules in that land. But Jesus says, no. God is moving ahead, and frankly, perfect love will cast out our fear. God will make a way. God will rain manna. God will provide, because you see, love is always on its way forward, and it's risky, and it's unknown, and it's uncertain, and we may not always get it right, but God is always dragging us into the future, a future where the living are, and the living are those that need to be loved. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own problems. And by the way, he says, you know those lilies of the field? Well, God clothes them better than he clothes Solomon. And I think he'll pay attention to you too. Remember when Jesus passed by the young man who said he wanted to follow him, but he said he first wanted to go back and bury his father, and Jesus says, leave the dead to bury the dead. And I say, well, that's not very nice that Jesus say that. But you know, God is always moving forward, always into the next day. And that's what the church is about, right? The church since its very beginning has been moving ahead from the day of Pentecost when a new spirit blew across the apostles. The church has always been on the advance. Helmut Tillich, the great theologian, said, the gospel is always being forwarded to a new address. We rejoice in the past, of course we do, but we got to get back into the future. We sing old songs, maybe sometimes we say old prayers, but we move ahead into the uncertainty of the future because we know that God has loving for us to do in the next day. We baptize, we are baptizing two babies today. Every baby that we baptize drags us into the unknown future. When my baby, my, when my daddy baptized my daughter almost 30 years ago, there were no such things as iPhones and Facebooks and terrorists flying into buildings and, and madmen spraying concerts with bullets and opioid crises and Amazon.com and Hurricane Harvey, Irma, Maria, Nate. None of that was on the radar. But the church said to her when they baptized my little girl, they said, we will go with you now. We will go with you into your future. 
We are in our 61st year here at Church of the Palms, and we gather together and we give thanks to God for the 60 years we've been through, but then we pivot quickly, and the world we see is a very different place than it was 60 years ago, and the challenges are different, and the culture is less accommodating to the church, but we move ahead, right? We build palm centers, and we engage youth, and we hand out groceries, and we tutor children, and we take care of infants, and we forward the gospel to a new address because Jesus says, perfect love will cast out the fear. Don't worry about that. You'll have enough because it's God who rains manna. It's God who drags us forward, and God says, don't hold on to that manna in your pockets. Don't be saved in your stuff for a rainy day because you got a great church that you need to support. And the longer you hold on to your money, the more your kids will fight about it. <laughs> Don't sit there waiting for things to get back to the way they used to be. That's not gospel. You're over the fence. There's no going back. God is on his way to the promised land. God is always on his way to the promised land. Some of you have heard me tell the story of Terry Fox, young Canadian teenager, great athlete, track star, who wakes up one morning to find he has bone cancer. High school kid finds out he's got bone cancer. Wakes up another morning to find that they have to amputate his leg above the knee. Talk about wanting to go back. Talk about wanting to go back to the way things used to be. But not more than a year later, they put a prosthesis onto his thigh, and Terry said, it's time to move ahead. God's moving ahead, and, and I'm going to move ahead with him. And he said to himself, I'm going to run across Canada, and I'm going to raise money for children with cancer. And they said, Terry, you, you, you can't do that. <laughs> you, you don't have what it takes. You don't have the body. You don't have the stamina. Best you just stay where you are. Best you live in the past. No, Terry was on his way forward, and he began his run for children, his effort to run across Canada. He ran 28 to 30 miles a day. They sent money. All of Canada decided to run with him, and they sent money, and they emptied their pockets because this young man was taking them into the future. And at the end of his 3,000-plus-mile run, when his cancer returned and eventually took his life, by that time, Terry had raised $22 million for cancer research. It's a little bit of love. I'm not sure who it was that said that a familiar captivity is often more desirable than an unfamiliar freedom. I'll say that again. A familiar captivity is often more desirable than an unfamiliar freedom. And ain't that the truth? But what is even more true is that God is moving on. And God is dragging us with him over the fence, scary, dangerous, uncertain, but the greater fear would be the temptation to go back. Love is ahead of us, not behind us. And perfect love, 
perfect love casts out fear. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. We thank you for these old stories that speak to us of truths we may need to hear right now. We are so eager, Lord, to think that maybe what's behind us is best. We think we are tempted, Lord, to wonder if we just go back, life will be better. But Lord, you are the God of the future. You are the God that moves us forward. You are the God who would wonder about new things and new opportunities to shower us with manna and quail and water and part the sea and bring us into the promised land. So remind us, O oh Lord, that you are already ahead of us and that you're pulling us forward so that we may live into the future for your sake. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.